630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. 20 seconds to go. Wrist shot saved Talbot. Rebound Tomlin Lupin. Wrist shot Martinez saved Talbot. Kopitar bangs it off the back of the head. 12 seconds. Wrist shot Martinez saved made by Cam Talbot. Here come the Oilers. 2 on 1 to win it. McDavid in for the left hand side. Dry subtle waits. There's the center pass. Left timers. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Let's get it going. Playoff action tonight. The Capitals lead the Maple Leafs 2-1 after the first period. Alexander Ovechkin has his second of the postseason. The Senators out in front of the Bruins 2-0. Mike Hoffman taking a spectacular pass from Eric Carlson and then making the Forsberg move on the breakaway to get the Senators on the board in that game. Both those series are tied 1-1. Later on tonight, Chicago at Nashville. The Predators are up 2-zip. They haven't allowed a goal, and the Calgary Flames are home to the Ducks. 8 o'clock start for that game. The Ducks lead the series 2-0. Of course, the Oilers up 2-1 now on the San Jose Sharks. Slapped in by Pavelski. Played along the boards. Helper Carlson now. A quick shot. Joe Thornton. A save made by Cam Talbot. Thornton picked it up. Back to the point. Shot burn. Save made by Talbot. Joel Ward up the right-hand side. He'll chip it to the corner. Big hit on Russell. Tierney after the puck. And it comes free. Quick shot. Save made on Joel Ward by Talbot. More fine work by Cam Talbot, who has two consecutive shutouts. Head coach... Todd McClellan commenting on the continued calmness of his keeper. You know, some goaltenders make, um, I, I think of Dominic Hask, who we had in, in Detroit. Some goaltenders make that dramatic save and that athletic save. And, and obviously Dom was a Hall of Fame goaltender. Uh, but with that comes some, um, you know, hectic play around the crease where Cam is just calm and relaxed. And... They're both, uh, they both make the save. They're both tremendous, but one gives you a little more sense of calmness than, uh, than the athletic save of, of a Dom, for example. Cam Talbot has been solid as a rock for the Edmonton Oilers. A low-scoring series, just a total of eight goals scored. The Oilers with five of them, the Sharks with three, and of course, 120 minutes straight without allowing a goal for Talbot. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. It is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. It's 6.08. Our next Oilers broadcast is tomorrow, 6 o'clock for the face-off show. The puck will drop at 8, Game 4 from San Jose. If you uh, want to watch the game with a bunch of like-minded individuals, they're once again having an Orange Crush road game watch party at Rogers Place. Tickets are on sale through the Oilers' website. They're 5 bucks. Net proceeds going to the Oilers Community Foundation. They had over 11,000 fans last night to watch the Oilers win the game. One guy who was watching intently from another downtown location, and he's about to tell us that story, former captain of your Edmonton Oilers, former defenseman in the NHL, Andrew Ferentz. Andrew, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Uh, doing all right, Reed. Just enjoying the beautiful snow up here. Are you down to San Jose? 
No, I'm in Edmonton. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's going to give you a hard time about probably digging your toes into the sand or something, but <laughs> no. right, we're up here to get, we're up here together enjoying it. Yeah. Well, it's uh I got to say it's still pretty enjoyable. The the vibe is incredible and I want to I want to talk to you about what you're seeing, but I mean you you're uh you're a great uh, guy out in the community and uh tell us what you were doing last night cuz you were out there making sure Oilers fans were uh, having some fun, eh? Yeah, we had some fun. Well, I got involved with a new brewery that's coming online uh, towards the end of the summer called Polar Park. So we're uh, going to be opening up that new B Bell Bakery or the old the old B Bell Bakery site uh, just off White. So uh, we actually our first beer that we we ended up brewing was uh, for Oilers Nation for the fan group out there. So uh, we made Nation beer. So they're serving at the pint, and we thought it'd be fun to uh, take a, take a keg out there and give a bunch of free beer away so uh we had a good time that was my first uh foray into the pint and the oiler nation world so uh, uh i think we get along pretty well well that sounds great but what was it like for you to be right in the middle of the fandom because i mean you've been a player since you were you know a, a, a teenager and that's kind of its own different world and and you know the fans are out there but you don't often experience what they're experiencing during a game so what was it like to be there with them while a the game was going on uh well i mean over my career it was i mean when i played in calgary we had the red mile uh, you know during the playoffs and actually there's a few of us that would uh, zip down there one of our favorite restaurants was uh, on the red mile so we'd actually go grab like post-game uh, <laughs> uh, food there and then kind of take in some of the, the festivities on the red mile uh so that was actually you know got a piece got a piece of that and then you know living in boston was in the north end um you know i'd walk to and from the rink even during playoffs and so you get a sense of some of the crazy craziness you know around surrounding games and uh, I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I think uh, this year, um, you know, even during the regular season, it was first year not not playing, and and uh, so ha- having tickets, I was like, oh, this is going to be a pretty new experience. So I'd go with my wife, went with, took the kids a few times, and uh, yeah, we just had great seats. We'd just sit down and and uh, you know, in a section and, <laughs> and just take it in and be fans again. I mean, it was like. Uh, going back to my childhood, you know, I watched the Oilers from the stands, so I figure why not now? So I got the first two games uh, of the playoffs, which was great. And, uh, um, you know, I had a, a blast, you know, getting into the, you know, cheering and everything like that. And, yeah, oh, it was great. Are you, are you a nervous fan? What do you like when you watch the games? <laughs> uh, I'm, I don't know. I wouldn't say nervous. I'm into it for sure. Like, definitely. Um, you know, watching everything develop, and uh, but I'm not uh, holding my breath with every shot. I think, I think probably uh, the one benefit of playing is, you know, some of the stuff that you, you know is close. Uh, you you react a little bit more than the casual fan, and then some of the stuff where the casual fan might be ooing and aahing, you know, didn't have a chance of going in. So <laughs> there's a bit of a difference there, but. Uh, um, you know, I, I I was definitely into it. it I, I, like I said, I had a blast. Andrew Ferentz joining us on Inside Sports tonight. You know, you, you referenced a couple teams you were part of in the past. Calgary in 04 went to the cup final and uh, lost to Tampa Bay. You were on the Boston team in 2011 that went to the cup final and won against the, the Vancouver Canucks. So you were a part of a couple of special teams that went deep into the playoffs. Um, you, you know, the Boston teams you were on were usually usually pretty good regular season teams, had some success, had some disappointments in the playoffs. 
When you look back on the teams that were able to go deep into the postseason, what did they have or what were some of the things that went right that, that allowed them to go deeper? Oh, uh, well, it's definitely tough to just kind of sum up quickly. But, uh, you know, the one thing um, was that there was, you know, every team has a system. Uh, you know, that's what coaches are for. Um, but really the influence of a coach is determined by the buy-in of, you know, the, the, the players, you know, and, and, you know, the, those teams where we had really good success, we had quite literally 100% buy-in. You know, we didn't have any guys that were kind of on their own, uh, playing by their own set of rules or, you know, you know, thinking that, you know, the, the game plan was for, you know, certain players, but not for them. And so, uh, you know, that's, you know, built up over the course of the whole season. And then by the time you get to playoffs, you're, you're just meshed together so well because everybody's on the same page. Everybody's doing the same thing. Everybody's interchangeable on different lines or different combinations. And, and everybody's role is very well defined. Right. Um, and so I think that was probably the, the one you know, consistent thread through those successful teams. And then the other one being, um, it was just a really good atmosphere to work in. You know, guys got along. It was, it's not to say that everybody was best friends, but there was a really healthy respect for each other. And I think that goes a long way in any workplace, not just hockey, but um, like, like I, I think one of the, you know, one of the kind of mantras we had, you know, was that, um, you know the the fact like I, I guess like to put it that way like we're not all here to be best buddies but we're here to uh, respect each other and win together um, and and you can have you know guys from different countries and guys from different backgrounds or guys with different interests and um, you can all still you know really respect each other and, and, and you know kind of tug on the same rope together. You know, Andrew you mentioned the buy-in and I, and I love that you brought that up because that's something that gets discussed a lot where does that have to start with? Does, does that start with the personality and the standards of the coaching staff? Do you need the, the, the stars on the team to kind of pull everybody else along? I mean, I know Matt Hendricks gave a great clip about a month ago about how, you know, Connor McDavid is detailed in every drill and, and follows all the coaches' instructions and that rubs off on other guys. You know, even though Connor has all this great talent, he's, you know, he's the, the, one of the best listeners when it comes to the drills. I mean, where does that buy-in have to start, do you think? Oh, well, it starts, yeah, with the best players for sure. I mean, um, you know, I know even uh, like the the guys I played with on those good teams. I mean, Jerome McGinley. <laughs> so uh, there's not a whole lot that has to be said about him and, and the way that he plays the game and approaches it and plays about as honest a game as you could possibly ever imagine uh, out of any hockey player. Um, so it's you know really started with started with him um, in Boston. You had you know obviously Zidane Ochara who you know spent the longest way to pull him out of the gym to make him do less sometimes just so he wouldn't be so tired. Uh, he was so dedicated to just perfection, you know, personally and held himself accountable um, all the time. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, another leader on that team who, uh, same thing, plays, plays the game as honest as possible. But, you know, like I said, day in, day out, like at the practices, you know, practice against each other extremely hard, not, not allowing, you know, errant passes to mess up a drill or to, you know, go easy on each other, you know, during a power player penalty kill uh, situation in practice. You know, we practice against each other hard, like really hard, like almost game level. And, you know, it took that kind of, uh, you know, buy-in from everybody to, to know that was how the team was going to operate. And when your best players are doing it, everybody else falls in line, 
you know, in a heartbeat. Um, you know, but in the coach's role is really just to, you know, make sure that there's accountability so that, you know, if guys aren't, uh, you know, tugging, like I said, tugging on that same rope that, you know, they're, you know, offered a chance basically to to get, you know, get with it or, or else there's consequences, right? Um, so that's where the coach and GM obviously come in and, and take care of that side of things. Andrew, you know, I know uh, because of the injury, you didn't you didn't wind up playing a lot last year, but but you were around the team. I'm not going to ask you about Connor McDavid again because everybody's uh, talked about him, <laughs> but I will ask you about maybe the co MVP of the team this season, uh, and that's goaltender Cam Tal- Talbot, who you know, let's face it, was you know had a burst when he had to play for Lundqvist for a while, but he was still kind of an unknown when he came to Edmonton. Why do you think Cam has been able to be so successful and so reliable in a couple of years here in Edmonton? Uh, well, I mean, goalies are far and away the most important person on the team, and they're the, the, they're also the position that baffles me the most, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> and probably most people. Um, it, honestly, I've played with a lot of you know really good goalies, successful goalies, and there's not. I, I honestly don't see a common thread between all of them. They're all their own person. They all operate a different way. They all have their way of doing things. I think that. You know, in Cam's case, you know, what I saw from him was he was extremely competitive. I mean, um, he was one of those guys that if we did lose a game, he didn't come in, you know, kind of, you know, feeling sorry or hanging his head or, uh, you know, feeling bad for himself. Like he was, um, like I said, he had that accountability piece where even if it wasn't his fault, he put it on his own shoulders and, you know, demanded better from himself right like he he had a very high desire to be the number one guy and to be reliable and be counted on and and set very high expectations um of his performance and and i think uh you know that's that's going to bring you success in a lot of things not just goaltending but um you know like if you're your own toughest critic and your own you know you, you hold yourself to higher standards than anybody else holds you to i think that um, that's going to obviously bode well, and I think that's the type of personality he has. I mean, the, the technical stuff and the physical stuff. I know I don't know anything about that as far as goalie go. He, he's obviously got that dialed in, but but from a mental side, you know, that's definitely what I saw. Well, he's been playing great. Game four is going to be exciting. Andrew, thanks for giving us the update, and uh, good for you for getting out with uh, with Oilers Nation for Game Three, man. I hope we can do this again. Have a great spring. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew Ference checking in tonight, talking about watching the Edmonton Oilers, giving away some Oilers Nation beer last night for Game 3, and certainly some interesting comments about team cohesion, what successful teams he's been on in the past, what they have been able to do, and big praise for the work ethic and attitude of Cam Talbot. I think we have all seen that as uh, Talbot has been one of the leaders for the Oilers this season. Inside Sports Live tonight on 630 Ched. You can give us a call, 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Oilers play-by-play voice Jack Michaels is going to uh, call in in a bit. He was at Oilers practice today in San Jose. All ahead, Inside Sports on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched. This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. We had that little notice about bylaws. Remember the parking and stopping restrictions on Jasper Ave and White Ave during Oilers 
playoff game. Something to keep in mind as we continue through this playoff run. Oilers up two games to one on the San Jose Sharks. Game four tomorrow on 6.30. Chad will start with the face-off show at 6. Going to be another fun one. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. It is 6.25. The Capitals now up 3-1 on Toronto. They just failed to score on a two-man advantage. A near breakaway for a Leaf out of the penalty box. But Braden Holtby comes 62 and a half feet out of the net and slides to knock the puck away. They're almost halfway through the second period in that game. Ottawa was up 3-0 on the Bruins. Boston comes back with two goals in 42, a sec- four, in 42 seconds. So the Senators now lead 3-2 with nine minutes left in the second period. Preds and Chicago later. Ducks and Flames a little bit later on as well. Got a text message here from the Big L, which I want to get to after the 6.30 news because I want to give it the time it deserves. And it kind of will uh, do a good job setting up something Todd McClellan said after practice in San Jose. Jack Michaels was at practice and he'll join us in a few minutes. We got Warren Mulvey on the other side of the window this evening. Warren, how's it going, buddy? I'm very well. How are you? How was your Easter? It was pretty good. I worked a lot, but... Oilers won, man. That's all that matters. Were you here last night? I can't even remember. I sure was. So watching the game while working? Oh, yeah, and that oh, Cassian, man. Can you believe it? Only point in the game. Yeah. I feel like if we get to the second round, I'm going to shave my beard to look exactly like his. I Well, I think some people have already started doing that. Yeah. I, I, I want to wait to see second round action Somebody before I commit to Wolverine that. Somebody called him Wolverine last night on <laughs> overtime open line. And don't forget, Wolverine also has a healing power. He does. He's not just all about the uh, facial hair. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can text six thirty six thirty. Cassian, quite a story. What about the the hits last night? What does San Jose have? Like four hundred body checks or something like that. I'll talk about that with Jack Michaels too when we get back. That is perhaps one of the uh, silliest stats that that uh, the NHL keeps ever since they expanded the box scores a few years ago. We'll touch on that when we get back. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, the Leafs just scoring here. So now they're trailing the Capitals 3-2 in the second period. Just trying to see on the replay who got the goal. Kadri took a long shot. Not sure if it deflected off Brown in front or not. But anyway, the Leafs uh, get back in the game. They killed off a two-man disadvantage. Then they took a too-many-men penalty. They killed that off as well. So they're fighting Washington hard. 3-2 Capitals, five minutes left in the second period. We'll keep you updated on that one throughout the evening. Bruins and Senators now tied 3-3. Six minutes left in the second period. It was 3-0. Ottawa, Boston coming back with a couple goals in less than a minute and then another one later by Pasternak. So that's a good game as well. Series is tied 1-1. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 6.30. Ched, good to have you along for the ride this evening. We're going to bring in Jack Michaels from San Jose in a few minutes. i got a good clip from Todd McClellan coming up. I want to read a text to 6.30, 6.30 from one of our regulars, the Big L. We also got open phone lines if you feel like chatting tonight, 780-496-0063. I do just want to let you know about something neat that's coming up later on in the show. And, uh, you know, you know, I love great stories and just profiling people who have worked hard, whether they're, you know, a pro athlete, a famous athlete, or maybe more of an everyday type person who's committed to something athletic. And that's what this segment is going to be more. I don't know if you knew this. The Boston Marathon was run today. 
And we had several Edmonton and area runners in that race. I think around 50. And one of them we're going we're gonna to profile is A.J. Rankle, who's also a firefighter. He's run dozens of marathons, but very special today, he ran alongside his son. How about that? They did the Boston Marathon together, so A.J. is going to join us between 7.30 and 8. I want to check in for that one. Here's the text to 6.30, 6.30 from the Big L, who says, Reed, during the third period last night, I was thinking the Oilers were 29th last season, but are presently swapping chances with one of the Stanley Cup finalists from last year, and better yet, are very capable of missing a team that has only missed the playoffs once in the past 12 years. Well, Edmonton was simply terrible during that time that is truly a turnaround daryl cates deserves so much credit for hanging in there and believing in his personal vision the team and the city well i'll tell you what daryl cates the owner of the oilers you know it it starts at the top you got to set a tone for the organization you got to have the right people in place and I wonder, I mean, the thing is, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Who knows how we're going to look back on the Oilers in 5, 10, 15 years from now. Certainly the draft lottery where they won Connor McDavid, I would call the most significant moment in the history of the team. Given the landscape of the NHL, probably even more, probably even bigger than, than when Wayne Gretzky came here. But you can certainly argue which one is bigger. They're both huge. But to me, it was very significant, very significant when Bob Nicholson came on board. And then as he, you know, kind of put his hands on the wheel a little bit, because I think his decisions, his reputation, you know, certainly he would have been a big part of bringing Peter Shirelli here. Peter Shirelli's a big part of getting Todd McClellan here. Todd McClellan's a big part of how the team is now playing and getting that buy-in that Andrew Ference, uh, Andrew Ference talked about. So all of a sudden, you had a decade where there were a lot of decisions and a lot of things that went wrong. Now all of a sudden, it's it's been pretty fun to be an Oilers fan, I think. I don't know how far they're going to go. I'm feeling good about the San Jose series. And here's the thing about the Oilers. And the Big L referenced it watching last night, how you got a team in second last place last season. Now standing right in there against a more experienced team that was in the Stanley Cup final last year. And I got to say this, going to the third period last night, scoreless game, you can always have a bounce. Somebody can always make a play. I felt very confident that that was the Oilers game to take. That they, that they were either going to make a play or be the team that didn't make the massive mistake. And the improvements that the Oilers have made defensively over the last couple of years has been, the as much as Connor McDavid is a complete superstar and led the league in scoring, I still think it's the team's ability to prevent goals and limit breakdowns and limit mistakes that has been the most significant change over the last couple of years. And Todd McClellan was asked about that today. It was pretty obvious it was something that needed to happen. When you threw the numbers at the group two years ago when we started, um, Edmonton likely had, or I know they had a reputation of, uh, you know, play real fast, um, get on offense and see what happens. And and that doesn't win at this time of the year. I think we're proving that right now. So... um, we came up with a, uh, 
a bit of a formula for success and, and slowly implemented it, slowly pounded away, chipped at it. And um, a lot of that had to do with uh, committing to playing without the puck, understanding what your responsibilities were, understanding that it had to happen on an ongoing basis. You couldn't pick and choose when you wanted to do it. Uh, we had to hold them accountable. We needed to make changes to our, uh, our group and its makeup. And uh, we're still we're still doing it. We're not there yet. We've got a lot of work to do, but uh, they're ex- experiencing playoff hockey right now, and it's tight checking. There's uh, every shift is a, of utmost importance. You can't overextend. Um, you manage situations much more in- intently than you do during the regular season. And um, you know, to this point, we've done um, an adequate job. Uh, but it's going to get tougher as as it goes on, and that's what we're learning. I thought that was a great answer by Todd McClellan. Certainly, had the Oilers had the reputation it was where they could kill you with skill. If the game got a little more wide open, they could they could win the game. But they didn't have the commitment. They didn't have the roster. They didn't have the diversity on their roster to stand in there in a low scoring game, stay with it, stay with it, and figure it out. And they're and he's right. They're they're still learning. Every game's going to get more and more challenging. He made a great boxing analogy yesterday about how after each game, each team goes back to its corner and now comes out adjustments, throws throws a jab, tries to change things up. But I think you got an Oilers team that is much mentally stronger to prepare for that, and much more committed to staying in a game every single second and not wilting not wilting and they didn't wilt last night and they pounce on a San Jose mistake and that's how they get the one nothing victory play-by-play voice Jack Michaels coming up after the break hi this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad Club with a turnover high slot backhander score Zach and he beat Martin Jones with 9.15 to go in the third period. Edmonton breaks through. It's one nothing Oilers in Game 3. That was the only goal last night. Zach Cassian's second straight game winner, as, by the way, Toronto just scores in the final minute of the second period to tie it up against Washington, keeping an eye on that one. Here's an interesting little thing before we bring in Jack Michaels, Warren. So Zach Cassian is the first Oiler to score the game-winning goal in back-to-back playoff games since Fernando Pisani in 2006. Except the thing is, that was the last time the Oilers won back-to-back playoff games. So a guy scoring back-to-back game winners has actually happened back-to-back times. Pisani in games 5 and 6 in 2006, the final. They lose game 7. They don't play a playoff game until game 1 this year. They lose... Then they went two in a row, and Cassian gets the game winner in both. So in terms of time, it's a long time. In terms of actual playoff games, the last four playoff games the Oilers have won, it's just two guys getting the game-winning goals, and they were both back-to-back. Anyway, great call there by Jack Michaels on the Cassian goal, and Jack joins us now. Welcome back to the show, buddy. How are you doing? Always a pleasure, Reed. I'm doing well. I'm anticipating game four. I'm going to get a little baseball in tonight and uh, hopefully not get rained on too much. But 
Oilers Sharks, a pivotal game four. Either we get a best of three, or we've got Edmonton with a chance to wrap it up on Thursday night before it's home crowd. Okay, hold on. Which ball game tonight, man? I'm going to A's Rangers in Oakland. Okay, cool. I have not been to that stadium. What's it like? Well, I'll put it this way. My companions will, you know, me and my companions will probably about 8% of the crowd. It's a rather cavernous facility with, unfortunately, a fan base that seems to drop off after opening day. Uh, well, the A's were uh, in, what, three straight World Series when I think you and I both would have been in high school, 88, 89, 90. They were a traditional uh, either wild card or division winner, playoff participant, I guess, shortly after the turn of the century. And I'm trying to oh, think yeah, of a... a yeah. They've been a good team for the most part. I mean, they've been a little patchwork lately. And, of course, they were the architects behind the old money ball. And they were also one of the more colorful World Series champions of the early 70s when they rattled off three straight under Charlie Finley and they went to the gold and the green for the first time. But, you know, this is a this is a bit of a no-name club uh, going to see Texas. But bottom line is, is if there's a baseball game and I've got time, and availability to go see one, I'm going to try to do it. Now, was Ricky Henderson there to pump up the Sharks crowd last night? He absolutely was. There were several members of the San Francisco Giants in a suite, I'm told. So, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of a baseball flavor around uh, this atmosphere in San Jose, which, which by the way, I'll give, I'll give the Sharks full marks. Uh, great opening last night, an electric atmosphere, and a real tight hockey game. It's a home ice advantage to be sure for San Jose, but Edmonton has found the means to win in that building. I mean, they've rattled off three straight now and 5-0 and 2 in their last seven, so they should arrive at Tuesday's game with a great deal of confidence. You know what, Jack? The uh, the hits last night were 58-37 in favor of San Jose, and I, you know I was checking some stuff here. Are you sure it wasn't 158? Yeah, it might as well might as well have been 2,000. Their previous season high was 34, Reed. Which so they, they had 32 in the first period. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the hit, you're only supposed to give out a hit if you cause a turnover. Like, if, if I go in and just nail you, but you get the pass away to a teammate, as as far as I know from what I've read, that's not supposed to be a hit. I don't think the Sharks delivered 58 hits that caused turnovers last night. <laughs> well, the delineation of a hit, as you can imagine, varies widely from arena to arena. So I think, uh, I think the off-ice officials do a good job for the most part. I think there's generally consistency in terms of, of face-offs. Hits are one of the items. I, I also sometimes you to see it in giveaways and takeaways. Uh, I, I think there's a, there's a degree of subjectivity that would fall under the hit category, and I think that was an evidence in, in Game 3. Not that San Jose didn't come out hard-charging. Again, I give the Sharks a lot of credit. I mean, those who are thinking this series might be over better think again. I mean, it, it's basically... A 0-0 game, a bad turnover, and quite frankly, a Cassian shot that Martin Jones has got to stop. I mean, the way the goaltending has been in this series, you cannot afford to let four beat you along the ice between the wickets. And that's exactly what's happened uh, with Martin Jones. Edmonton might have found a bit of a soft spot there. You were a lot more uh, political about the uh, your take on the hit stat than I thought you would be. 
Well, I, you know, and, and I know I, you don't want to. Where you're yeah. going, yeah. but you know what? I gave you, a, I, I, I gave you a little blueprint for Martin Jones, or at least what we've seen in the first three games. I don't think, you know, I, I don't think I shied away from that. But yeah, no, the hands thing. Honestly, Reed, I've seen it in other buildings too. It's not just San Jose's. I mean, last night, yes. I mean, 30, 32 in the first period when you've had thirty four is a season high. A bit ridiculous, but I, you know. Minnesota for a while was getting that knock with Cal Clutterbuck leading the league for years. There were some suspicions that the hit counter was a little, a little up in that regard. Again, it's one of those categories that you see more variance than others. We'll put it that way. Jack Michaels joining us on Inside Sports tonight, play-by-play voice for your Edmonton Oilers. Hey, uh, practice today. Uh, you're with the team. What was this? I saw people tweeting that the, the lights were out or partially out. Was there something going on here, or was this just a funny well, they coincidence? Just, they just didn't come on you know, right away, and that's really par for the course. As you know, a lot more people travel during the postseason, so they weren't used to this. We're used to this, I okay. mean, especially – the Oilers in a situation where San Jose has its own practice facility. And during the regular season, you'd obviously, you know, show up. And, and during the regular season, you don't have to wait for uh, a particular media availability. So you can crawl on a little bit early. And, and oftentimes, uh, they'd go on in the globe. And that's what was going on. And, you know, the rink, the arena is, is instructed not to turn the lights on, especially during the postseason, so that the media can make their way from one facility to the other. So with all the media now traveling for the playoffs and a lot of guys not used to it, that's why Twitter was all a buzz because they're not used to seeing the lights come on. Uh, for those of us who travel with the team during the regular season, it's not the first time this has happened in okay. San Jose. Uh, you get there and it's often dark and guys will try to sneak on there when you can basically just see their shadow. Jack, you know, before the playoffs started, you know, sometimes yeah, it's fun on these shows to to interact with the with the listeners. And I said, I said, hey, just text me in which Oilers depth player or unsung hero do you think is going to have a big impact. And I got you know a few dozen texts, and probably sixty percent of Oilers fans said, I got a feeling Zach Cassian is going to be a difference maker. We're only three games in, but man, were those predictions ever prophetic? Well, absolutely. It shows that you got some pretty smart fans who listen to your show, Reed. I don't know. I don't know what happened to you. I would. I would think some of this would rub <laughs> off on the host eventually. But uh, no, I mean, you know what? He's he's done a great job. And and the thing with Zach is he's really been a pretty consistent player. And I think we would have spoken more glowingly of his regular season had a couple of those goals. Uh, that were taken off the board counted for for Zach Cassian. I mean, he was a couple of eyelashes away from you know an eleven or twelve goal and a thirty to thirty two point season. He he just seemed to have some tough luck when it came to actually getting on the score sheet on a more consistent basis. He's had the back to back game winners, but more than anything, he's ignited the bench quite often and ignited the Rogers Place crowd obviously in game two. But what he does that's the most important thing is he is he keeps the bench electrified. He's one of those guys that really, you know, pumps up other guys, and he doesn't do it verbally necessarily, although he's, you know, kind of an encouraging guy and can yap a little bit on the bench too. But, you know, when he's throwing his body around, he skates so well. Uh, guys love to see that. And he, he's also created space for guys like Drake Kajula and Mark Letestu to have, you know, breakthrough seasons in that regard. I mean, I don't think there's uh, – I think there's 
there's no such coincidence that tells me Mark Letestu doesn't have a career year with, with Zach Cassian on his line for much of the year. I think uh, his speed and ability to get to the corners and throw that body around, it, it creates opportunities not only for himself, but for the, for the teammates on his line. And, you know, Leon Dreisaitl now may be uh, a beneficiary of that moving forward. I don't know what Tom McClellan is going to do for game four, but certainly that combination uh, produced uh, the margin of victory the other night in game three. Well, it's going to be fun, Jack. We've enjoyed listening to your calls. And uh, game uh, game four tomorrow, game five at Rogers Place on Thursday. We'll see what the score in the series is coming into that one. Thanks for chiming in tonight, buddy. And enjoy the baseball game, okay? I look forward to hearing about it. Absolutely. I'll do that. And, yeah, one more thing. I mean, I talked to Darnell Nurse. He said, look, there's a lot of hockey left in this series. So the Oilers are quite cognizant of whom they're playing and how narrow the margin has been in the first three games. Much appreciated, Jack. Have fun at the ball game. 6.56 inside sports on 6.30. Ched, you'll hear Jack tomorrow calling the game. The broadcast will start at 6 with the face-off show. Puck drop at 8, all right here on 6.30. Ched, don't forget about the Edmonton Oilers Orange Crush Road Game Watch Party. Tickets already on sale through the Oilers' website. They're just 5 bucks. You can go watch the game on that giant screen at Rogers Place. All net proceeds to the Oilers Community Foundation. The doors will open at 7 for the 8 o'clock game. 3-3 Senators and Bruins after 2. Capitals and Maple Leafs now 3-3 after 2. A couple of exciting third periods coming up. We'll keep you updated on those. Did you see Zach Wierenski's face last night? The young member of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Man, oh man, he's going to be out for the playoffs. We'll uh, talk to uh, an Edmontonian who once suffered a pretty bad facial injury, Nathan Dempsey, when we get back. Inside Sports on Chet. 630 Chet, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chet.